Welcome to the 331st of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today, I talk with Hyewon Kim and Sungun Kim about their new book, Breathing Communities, Science and Politics in the Triple Air Crises of Particulate Matters, COVID-19, and Heat Wave. As a reminder, you can usually catch COVID calls live on weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a special COVID calls episode at 9.30 a.m. September 1st, Korea time. You can hear COVID calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID calls via Twitter using the handle at USOdisaster or at COVID calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. Please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, September 1st, 2021, there are 4,516,002 deaths from COVID-19 globally. That's according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. I'm going to continue raising different COVID measures on every episode of COVID calls, measures that I'd like to know about in addition to and beyond the death totals. I want to share two ideas today that were sent from Miryang Kang, who's a graduate student in the Graduate School of Science and Technology Policy at KAIST. Miryang contributed that she'd like to know the number of stores that have closed due to social distancing policies. And a second measure that she would like to know about, how many hours have children had to be alone throughout the pandemic and not going to school? measures for COVID-19 that go beyond death totals. I've been reading a life story or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic, and I'd like to continue that now. The headline, COVID-19, India outrage over no oxygen shortage death data claim. This appeared 21st of July, 2021 in BBC. Indians have expressed shock and anger after a junior health minister told Parliament that no COVID deaths had been reported due to oxygen shortages. Hospitals across the country ran out of oxygen in April and May 2021 during a deadly second wave. There were daily reports of people dying from a lack of oxygen. But the government said on Tuesday, July 20th, that, quote, no deaths due to lack of oxygen have been specifically reported by states, unquote. At the time of this report, 21st of July, India had reported more than 418,000 COVID deaths. More than half of those happened after the 16th of April when COVID cases began to climb sharply. Dr. Gautam Singh, who runs a 50-bed hospital in Delhi, told the BBC that there was an acute shortage of oxygen in April and May. We were managing oxygen on an hourly basis. We came so close to losing patients. Somehow we begged and borrowed to save our patients, but I do know other hospitals that lost patients due to the shortage, he said. India's health infrastructure began to crumble as the demand for hospital beds, oxygen, and medicines soared. 
Social media was flooded with desperate pleas for help from both families and doctors as patients gasped for breath. The trauma was on vivid display day after day and made global headlines. So the government's statement that it had no data on oxygen deaths has angered and shocked Indians. Health is a state subject. Detailed guidelines for reporting of deaths have been issued by the Central Health Ministry to all states and union territories, said Bharati Pawar, Junior Minister for Health and Family Welfare in Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government. She added that they had not received any reports about deaths due to the oxygen shortage. Ms. Pawar was answering a question raised by opposition MP K.C. Vinugopal in the Rajya Sabha, the upper chamber of the parliament in India, and the question related to whether a large number of COVID patients died on roads and hospitals due to acute shortage of oxygen in the second wave. People appeared furious and hurt that the government was relying on a technicality, that states had not reported any deaths specifically from a lack of oxygen and not acknowledging the horrific reality that so many families faced. BBC and other media reported extensively on the oxygen shortage in hospitals, including in major cities such as the capital, Delhi. In one prominent Delhi hospital, at least 12 patients, including a doctor, died when it ran out of oxygen on May 1st, 2021. Many hospitals were relying on daily supplies. It was worse in small hospitals that didn't have storage tanks and had to rely on big cylinders. Images of people queuing up to fill oxygen cylinders soon became a familiar sight. It's a battle we're fighting every day, Dr. Gautam Singh told the BBC at the time. Half of my hospital staff are on the road with cylinders to get them filled every day, going from one place to another. India's government has previously come under criticism for major gaps in its COVID data. Experts say the case counts and deaths are both severely underreported. Okay, I'd like to turn to my conversation for today. Let me introduce my guests. This is a conversation I've really been looking forward to. Sungun Kim is a PhD candidate at the Graduate School of Science and Technology Policy of KAIST, the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. His research interest focuses on the relationship between environmental knowledge, nation states, and spatial order in East Asia. His dissertation project examines the role of environmental sciences in the making of territorial claims and national identities. My second guest is Hyewon Kim. Hyewon Kim is a PhD candidate at the Graduate School of Science and Technology Policy in KAIST. She's interested in the entanglement between the knowledge of the human mind and body, technology, and politics. Her dissertation project examines the history of the sciences of nonverbal communication and the development of facial expression recognition technology in the United States since the 1960s. Ewan Kim and Sungun Kim, thank you so much for joining me on COVID Calls today. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. I'd like to start the way I generally do, which is to find out where you're calling from and what the pandemic situation looks like there today. Ewan, let me start with you on that. So um, we're calling from South Korea. Um, I'm in Seoul and Seoul is probably in Daejeon. And um, we know that uh, yesterday, oh, for, for the past couple of uh, weeks, there has been a surge in the number of patients in South Korea. And, and uh, there has been around um, 1,500 to 2,000 confirmed patients per day. Uh, so that's the current situation in South Korea. And Sungun, maybe to say a little bit more about that, what's the vaccination picture look like? Yeah. Uh 
Korea has just started its vaccination on people from their 20s to 50s, which includes uh, my, my age range. So I will be vaccinated within about two weeks. Uh, about 68% of the people registered to be vaccinated in, in this time period because many of the more elderly people are already vaccinated. Uh, about 80% of the population will be vaccinated by the end of the fall, which is a good news, if, even though the country has been uh, suffering a lot from the, the slow vaccination process. So I'm expecting a lot uh, to things to be better in this winter. That's a, a startling transition that yeah, it is. Just, yeah. for North American audiences um, listening that I just want to make sure you, you know that you heard that right, that um, the, an overall relatively low vaccination rate nationally, which by the end of the fall will be above 80% probably. Um, these are going to be dynamic months in Korea for COVID in that, in that sense. Yeah, there is a uh, huge operation in medical facilities to deliver the vaccines right and make sure that uh, uh, the, all the protocols are being held and, and peop, uh, the, the government re is doing really hard work to see that there are no kind of uh, malfunctions uh, fr from the vaccination. They're, they're seeing that, uh, controlling that uh, well. And, and, and for, for now, I think that they're, they're doing a great job in, in putting out vaccinations, even though these, the starting of the vaccination was relatively slow compared to other countries. I should be able to report back uh, firsthand by this afternoon. I received my first vaccine dose today at one okay. o'clock, which I'm excited about. It's maybe the first time in my life I've been excited for a vaccination, but I'm mm -hmm. truly, truly thrilled. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to um, ask you both also, uh, Sungan, let me start with you on this. If you wouldn't mind sharing a, a memory that you have of this COVID era. Yeah, uh, I was... I, I would say that I was a lucky person to to go through a pandemic process. Uh, it, it's sad to say that it, to to be lucky in this moment uh, that I was in a, a very supportive uh, community of a graduate school and 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 a school that is really supportive of of, of helping helping uh, the community members to uh, to continue doing the work while while staying safe. So I I my families are doing okay. So I don't have any particular kind of strong kind of memory in, in, in the sad point. But I think one of the strongest memory that I remember is probably things that uh, are happening right now in this week, uh, which is a, a planned strike of, of Korean nurses uh, in tomorrow. So there are these people, of course, have been the care workers have been in the front line of COVID, uh, uh, the the disease control and doing tremendously hard work, but they are not well compensated. Uh, they, they are exhausted because they are taking care of too much patients uh, in, in uh, less uh, less uh, supported medical facilities. Uh, and, and it's really heartbreaking to see that they, their last choice is to go on strike in this dire moment. Uh, and then I really want uh, our government and, and and the medical authorities working with them to prevent that happening, the, the strike, and then to make things better in, 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 the, in fall and winter. Well, thank you for highlighting that. And it, and it reminds me, we really need to get a guest on COVID calls who's a nurse in, in South Korea so that we can learn sure. more about that, yeah. about that situation. Uh, Haywon, let me bring you in. Same question, strong memory of, of this time period for you? 
So I'm also in the same academic community with Songun. So I've been in a very fortunate situation uh, during this long period of pandemic. Um, a few months ago, I went through quarantine for two weeks in my home. And um, that, that was a very uh, struggling experience because um, so, so two weeks I was at home without any external contact and um, that was a, a, a memorable moment. And uh, right now I'm going through a pregnancy. So I'm going to give birth to a baby soon. So having birth during uh, this uh, uh, pandemic is another um, another memorable, ex strong memorable experience for me, I guess, um, because um, the regulation for hospitalization is cr constantly changing. So I have to keep up with the hospital on whether my husband can attend giving birth to my child or not, whether my parents could visit or not. So I'm, I'm constantly um, checking out what are the, the official regulations and what are the state regulations and what I should be doing as a patient slash mother. And I guess these are the personal struggles that I'm going through right now. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that knowledge and congratulations thank you. on that. And um, uh, from everyone in the COVID calls community, and and just it's, I mean, what a challenge ordinarily, but then to layer on top of that this kind of uh, hyper vigilance that you have to have about um, health precautions. Have you had to do a, a lot of telehealth visits, for example, or has it affected the way that your maternity care has taken place? Mm, so. It, there hasn't been much difficulty in visiting the doctor occasionally because I, I only have to visit the hospital once every month. But um, I, I guess the 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 important moments would be um, would would come within month because within this month because um, it would be a very um, um, immediate process where. A lot of people will be crowded in the surgery room, or or maybe this this birth giving birth room, and then uh, whether my family members can could attend or not. So right now, my husband can't uh, can't be with the uh, in the hospital before he uh, gets um, a test. What so whether he he gets the negative after. Um, this testing. So, so keeping up with this information and keeping up with the, the changing regulations have been a challenge for me. Is it, it may be hard to generalize, but is it, um, is it the case in Korean culture? There's an expectation for family and friends to see mother and child very early? Yeah, um, often families visit uh, the mother and the child right after they give birth so you can you can meet them um outside of the 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 the, the ward so so you can visit them and see them from from windows and meet the children from a very early stage so it's been a a family um occasion for a long time in south korea i don't know for other other countries but mm -hmm. yes that so you're gonna has be been true yeah, you're going to be managing the uh, yeah, social side of things for a while. Yeah, and, and then uh, my parents and other family members are going to visit the baby through a baby cam. So 
it's going mm. to be virtual. Okay. Well, we'll have to have you back on COVID calls uh, with your additional family member at some point down the down the <laughs> line. Uh, just a reminder that you're listening to COVID calls, and I'm talking today about breathing and air in South Korea with Sungun Kim and Hyun Kim, and we're going to talk about their new book. Breathing Communities, Science and Politics and the Triple Air Crises of Particulate Matters, COVID-19 and Heat Wave. Um, and this is a co-authored project. So I want to also acknowledge additional authors, Myung Kang and Cheung John. So this is a great team. Sungun, let me come to you first on this. Where did this idea come from? So four of us, including uh, me, myself, Hyun, Cheung and uh, Miryang, the four of us is, is a research team, uh, funded by the Center for Anthropocene Studies within, uh, our, our, uh, school, KAIST. And, uh, as a, as a project from, from, from the center, we wanted to write a magazine piece on 2019, uh, which, uh, when the Korea, South Korea was suffering from really worst level of particulate matter, air pollution, like particles that is suspended within the air. Uh, when, when the, uh, it, it is formed when the, all the, uh, air pollutants are coagulated on the air. It can, it can go into your lung and cause, uh, uh, all, all kinds of diseases, including, uh, cancer. So in, by, by the, by 2019, Korea has been experiencing worst level of that, uh, the, the, uh, air pollution. And the colleagues, it, uh, my colleagues and, and, uh, my, my advisor, Cheong Jun, uh, he thought about uh, writing a, a kind of article like reportage that covers how people are uh, reacting variously to these kind of risks. What what are the uh, the technologies they are developing? What kind of social uh, conventions they're 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 generating? What kind of new knowledge are being generated? Uh, at, at first, we, we remembered that we wanted to write a new neural course style article that. that a piece that might appear on New Yorker or piece that might be given to New Yorker or, but, but failed to be on it. So basically a kind of essay type, type of writing. Uh, that, that's most articles for the New Yorker, by the way. Not really? Articles <laughs> written, written for the New Yorker that never appear in the New Yorker. So it's a great ambition. It's a great ambition that most writers share, myself included. So uh, really? yeah. Yeah. And we wanted to write it in, in Korean because uh, that kind of writing, well, I believe, was was rare in, in that moment. Even though many people were, were writing about uh, air pollution at that time, we wanted to be a more like a, a, a narrative, a, the story with, with more narrative. And they did that and, and, and it went out in, in a magazine called Science Magazine Epi. Uh, and, and it was written, uh, read by... Uh, Many people, including a a South Korean book pub, uh, editor for a South Korean book publisher, uh, she, uh, her name is uh, Serum Kim. She uh, read our magazine piece in in the spring of 2020, and they contacted us with a kind of proposal to expand this uh, magazine piece into a a, a whole book. Uh, at that time, it was clear that the the particular matter is not the only air-related risk in Korea because the already the COVID was spreading all over the, the world. And we thought that it would be nice to write about these two, uh, more than two kind of kind of disasters with, with this kind of single frame of, of the air. Of course, there are many articles on air pollution. There are many articles on COVID. But, but I, I think we have uh, seen less about 
the articles that deals with these kind of risks with with the kind of same framework of, of air problem of the air. And we wanted to do that it would be cool to uh, do that uh, in a whole in a book, and we decided to write about it. Hey, Juan, let me bring you in on this because the the passage of infection. Uh, or the breathing in of pollution by air in, as a concern, as a public health concern in South Korea precedes COVID, as Sungum was just alluding to. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the history of those concerns pre-COVID. Mm. So pre-COVID, um, the, the first article that, that someone mentioned that was on EPI was about a particular matter in specific. So it was about the airscape in 2019. And back then, um, as he emphasized, it was, uh, there, there were public concerns and, um, public discussions on, uh, expert discussions on how to solve the issue of particular matter, not only health issues, but also, um, uh, um, solving and purifying it and what kind of technologies could be brought into the industry and all, all these kind of public discussions. So I guess uh, in the, the, the pre-COVID era, the problem of air quality was more concentrated on air pollution, not only the, the, the issue of particular matters, but also pangsa, which is uh, yellow dust that flows from northwestern China and Mongolia, and th th this this issue of Hangsa has been uh, framed or um, uh, described as uh, Chinese air pollution invading, uh, violating the, the the Korean and and the Chinese uh, national border in the uh, early 1990s, and there have been health concerns health concerns regarding this Hangsa issue since the 2000s. And this led to another air pollution issue, a particular matters in the late 2010s. And also, um, um, apart from air pollution issues, I guess um, a direct precedent of COVID could be MERS in South Korea. So uh, as we have written in the book, in our book, um, the, the MERS has um, become a direct precedent. So there has been uh, guidelines published after the outbreaks of MERS and after uh, people have suffered from this this um, um, national um, pandemic crisis. So um, I, I guess in these two cases, um, the, the, in, the, in, the, in the history of South Korean air pollution and air quality issues, more, more of the, the, the responses from the government and the experts were more focused on cleaning up the mess afterwards. So there hasn't been this uh, long period of pandemic. So, um, so, so it was more concentrated on how to solve it afterwards and aftermath. So I guess it's kind of different. The Western media, of course, paid a lot of attention to South Korea uh, early on in the pandemic. And um, Hiwon, I know you've written also with Professor Hyung Sub Choi about the use of masks. And a lot was made um, about the sort of adoption of mask wearing in South Korea. But I think there might have been some confusion in uh, a lot of the media accounts about the origin of that. And, and that a lot of it was sort of 
uh, media accounts said, well, this is a direct reaction to Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome. This is a direct reaction to SARS. Not a lot of discussion about something you mentioned a moment ago, which is the Huangsa, the, um, this dust, this yellow dust that comes. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, I mean, you have a whole article about it, but just to get a mention yeah. in here, can you say a little bit about that timeline of mask wearing? So um, what we wrote in the paper was that the, the direct um, infrastructure, the, the in, uh, infrastructure, the, the institutional guidelines in producing and wearing masks were um, built upon the experiences of Hangsa. So in the late 2000, 2007 to 2009, uh, there was a, a, a public call from the media and also from the experts that the masks that are sold under the name of Hangsa masks were actually incapable of um, filtering these air pollution dusts that are blowing from the um, Chinese um, uh, ch- northwestern China. So um, there has been calls for um, government institutions to uh, build a framework to 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 regulate the 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 masks that are produced under the name of Pangsa masks. So the government built a, a new uh, institutional guideline under the name of Korean filter. So there are three stages, uh, three, three types of masks that are sold in South Korea, KF90, uh, KF80, KF94, and KF99. And um, so, so, so our, our insight, our message was that, um, the, the, the history of uh, mask wearing and mass um, mass producing was not um, ha- has a much longer history. It, it it may have a longer history, but we should also focus on when the when these kind of institutional guidelines were built and what kind of experiences ha- and and um, what kind of um, moments have shaped these immediate guidelines. So we, we thought, we believed that that was the early 2000s. Where can people find that article, Hewan? Um, so one, a short, shorter piece was published in the History and Philosophy of Life Sciences. Um, and uh, we're, you, you can expect it to be published in the uh, EASTS journal in coming up this winter. Okay, East Asian Science, Technology, and Society. So we'll look for both of those articles. And thank you for that background on that. Sungan, I'm going to bring you back in because something that was mentioned before, um, I think, needs a little more explanation. So you have, and we're talking pre-COVID here for a second, and we're going to turn to COVID in a second here. But um, we've got the industrial pollutants in the in the airscape. Um, and then we've got the Huangsa, the sort of outsider dust. That, to me, is the makings of a political conundrum about how you frame this as a policy problem. Is this a domestic problem, or is this a problem of an unwanted importation? Yeah, as you correctly uh, guessed, there has been a serious political discussion on the who is responsible for this bad air quality in, in South Korea. So uh, in uh, especially since uh, 2013, when WHO announced that the particulate matter or these small aerosols can cause cancer, there has been a nationwide terror and 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 the kind of call for fi- finding the source of these air pollution and where it is this coming, and how we can how we can manage it. 
And many of these scientific uh, uh, studies has been done, but uh, but there basically there has been kind of two major kind of sources. One is a uh, domestic kind of production of, of these uh, particulate matters, ma uh, mainly from factories, chemical plants, and and the automobiles exhausts. But many many uh, South Korean uh, scientists and policymakers has also been pointing out to the uh, to the air pollutants coming over uh, the the borders from from China. And then the exact amount uh, the, of the Chinese pollutants over the South Korean atmosphere has been a uh, a kind of highly debated issue and and a kind of less studied science as well, because in order to do that you you have to have this unified kind of uh, framework of research, but it, it is difficult to expect given the possibility of diplomatic dispute between the countries and and the uh, difficult kind of economic relations with that. Uh, also, there, 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 there has, there could be a kind of ethical dilemma as well, because many of the Korean, uh, the manufacturers are building their factories in, in, in China. And then they're, they're receiving the, their, their cost back into Korea following, following the, the, the seasonal wind. So, uh, Korea is in, in this very difficult ethical and political kind of dilemma where, uh, they cannot be full, uh, they cannot be fully responsible for their own, but but they cannot uh, blame others uh, fully for for their for their uh, the air pollution. So uh, many many research has been done regarding this issue, and I am actually following this uh, story as part of my dissertation project as well. I I just I mean that's such a, a valuable set of insights, and and one that I think is also really relevant as we think about COVID. Because so much of the infrastructure that we have in place to monitor COVID, um, to put health regulations in place, um, to deal with victim support, um, we frame it nationally. And that's appropriate in many different domains, of course, because the nation, nation states have incredible police powers and public health um, resources at play. But it's a pandemic. It's a global pandemic. We're not mm -hmm. controlling, you know, the virus is not interested in yeah. what your flag looks like. And I think the same um, is an in, is something we draw from what you're talking here about air pollution. So I think that's the segue I want to use to thinking about COVID. I mean, is there anything that was learned in the policy process from the scientific process of dealing with particulate matter that then has been relevant, Sungun, to making sense of how to deal with COVID? So I, I don't think there has been a kind of direct relations between between those two but i think uh, we might think that there there has to be kind of similar kind of mindset in, in dealing with those uh these these risks so uh the both risks uh are similar in that they are, they are transmitted uh partially by by air which is uh trans uh, which, uh are transported in, in various places and across border easily through and then and it it is easy to blame uh, the outside sources as a uh, kind of possible contributor of that risk, but but in in both cases, air pollution and COVID, it it, it we are we are learning that it is also important to do what can be done locally, and then to implement strong domestic uh, the 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 disease control measure either by uh, having strong social distancing measures or uh, providing. Uh, Adequate scientific communications or new technologies, so so I think there there has to be a a kind of uh, uh, wise balance.
between uh, what can be what can be done with within locally through through kind of uh, uh, reliable policy measures, and and then finding out what 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 is happening uh, across the borders, which is less less predictable, and then uh, uh, and and difficult to find find much uh, can what can be done in, in policy wise. Just a quick reminder, you're listening to COVID Calls. I'm talking today to Hiwon Kim and also to Sung and Kim about their new book with uh, co-authors Myung Kang and Chiyoung John, and the title of that is Breathing Communities. Hiwon, let me bring you back in on this. Um, thinking about these different dimensions, so particulates, heat uh, as a breathing stress, and then COVID, um, it also... I mean, I'm really happy to bring all of those into one discussion, but you sh- you sure discover it seems like these silos of of knowledge making, and and I wonder how you approach that in the in the project. The different kinds of experts responsible for these different sorts of breathing issues did that become um, evident as you were doing the research? So. Uh, could you elaborate your question a little bit more? In yeah, terms of- I'm I'm curious about who the experts are, who are, and how they overlap. Mm-hmm. The, those who are responsible for air quality in terms of pollution, let's say, versus those who are concerned about maybe asthma related to um, heat. And then now we have COVID. It's not one. Well, maybe there is in South Korea. I don't know, but in the United States, it would not be one government ministry or one agency that would be yeah. responsible. And so that creates an mm-hmm. additional sort of knowledge making problem mm-hmm. is you have to get the experts together. Often you're yeah. not able to do that. I wonder if that's a problem that you discovered in this project. Yeah. So if you if you read our book, you can find that there are experts from various disciplines. So we, we wanted to deliver as much uh, research, as much uh, intense research as possible that has been taken place throughout the years regarding not only um, uh, regarding po- particular matter, COVID and heat waves. And um, one of the challenges was that there were um, conflicting messages that were being delivered by the experts. For instance, um, right now I can remember that there were um, conflicting guidelines on mask wearing since um, the outbreak of COVID, and um, so and, and then that the, the guideline for mask wearing has changed not only in South Korea but also in in America, where the CDC guidelines has changed has been updated week on a weekly basis. So, um, and there has been there are also. Um, mm, Yes, so so we we wanted to do an interview as much as possible to to meet the experts and um through with within these researches uh, there has been messages that were being delivered on how we can serve how we can solve this um, each air crisis and um 
I, I guess um, different experts have different approaches in solving these issues. Um, for instance, the 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 industrial uh, the market wise um, so solution was to uh, provide new technologies that could um, that could uh, purify indoor air. So so that was our approach of um, breathing alone. So building a safe space around each individuals to, to, to maintain their breathing air conditions safer. Um, but we were endorsing a more, um, we, uh, uh, the, the air breathing in a communal breathing together. So the idea of breathing together. So where, where policies and um, scientific experts could uh, come up with the idea to maintain air as a communal source. So, mm -hmm. so we should do more science on the air that we're breathing together, not breathing alone. So, so I guess we, we, through, through, through the interviews and through document analysis, we were able to read what was the, the framework that these experts and um, these uh, institutions were delivering to the public and what kind of ideas they each each uh, institutions had on the problem of breathing. Songun, let and me I give guess, you. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Hyun. Oh uh, no, no. I I I, I guess that Songun might have some additional points to make about this issue. Yeah, I want to bring you back in on this, Songun. This question of different kinds of experts for different problems, and then Hyun um, also introduced a couple of concepts that I know you're using in the book. This idea of breathing alone and breathing together, which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, a nice way to talk about whether or not ultimately mm, the impacts of this kind of a slow disaster is an individual's mm -hmm. responsibility or if it's a commons problem. Yeah, sure. So earlier you asked about wh whether the experts are working on each other, uh, air, air risk, or, or are they communicating with each other, are new knowledge being, being formed? Yeah, uh, one of the uh, events we visited, uh, Hyun and I visited, were Kind of these air expos, the the where, where the all the air related appliances and new technologies are kind of uh, exhibited, and then uh, the, the many uh, electrical uh, appliances uh, were, were there, and we we're amazed by how creative it can, it can be. So in 2019, when we went there, there they were all about air pollution. There, there were filters, there were masks, there were uh, there were new kind of some some kind of uh, UV light thing that you can wear on your neck and then it purifies your air in your uh, it, it just 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 a cubic meter uh, around your nose and then surprisingly when we came, went to another expo in 2020 all of these uh, these uh, uh, industries are switching their their job from air pollution companies to COVID companies because basically they're making similar filters and then uh, similar ways of killing viruses as opposed to uh, gather, gathering uh, particular matters. And then, uh, so it was interesting to see that they are, they are kind of expanding their, uh, their, their, uh, expertise from one, one areas to another. And we saw similar kind of, uh, the overlapping areas in academia as well. People who are simulating the, 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 uh, the spread of a particular matter are also interested in simulating the the spread of uh, small aerosols. Uh, they, they're com com computationally simulated and to make uh, some some results on that. And there are people who are working on landscaping 
in to to reduce the urban urban uh, heat waves. So by by planting and and placing building in just the right direction, uh, they were initially interested in in uh, avoiding the heat waves to controlling the movement of of, of of hot air within the urban area. But they're they're expanding their their uh, expertise to air pollution control as well because the uh, ur- urban uh, trees can can be a good measure to counter the air pollution within within the urban uh, urban spaces. So. We see there are a lot of uh, overlapping things uh, that that are happening in one side of the air air rest. They're they're crossing the boundaries then to make new kind of knowledge. Uh, yeah, and that's that. Now you've really become storytellers of air in South Korea. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I think the New Yorker missed their opportunity here. It's not too late. Um, <laughs> anybody, any editors who are listening, and, and and with that in mind, I think, and I can totally picture you at the air. Expo. I mean, I've been to these like for fire protection devices. Yeah, yeah and sure. it is. And so there's like a baseline industry, but it has some mm-hmm. nimbleness or flexibility. If the yeah, core sure. thing is a filter, they can make a mm-hmm. new housing for a filter that can do all mm-hmm. kinds of mm-hmm. of things. I think that uh, teaches us not only um, a lot about public health, but it teaches us about the way that disaster and capitalism interact. Yeah. Um, I, just to follow up a little bit more on the stories, um, Hewan, let me ask you this first, and then Sungan will come to you. Mm-hmm. Who is the most interesting people you interviewed? What was the most interesting interview that you did as part of this project? So um, one of the people I visited or I, I, I met on Zoom was a scientist who uh, simulated the spread of the MERS virus in the Pyeongtaek St. Mary's Hospital in 2016. So he he was one of the leading um, project in, instructor um, to to figure out how this MERS virus in one ward, one room, had spread throughout the entire in that 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 entire hospital. So so um, the the t- technology that he used was um there were two two approaches that he used one was um um that he actually um uh measured the airflow within the the hospital so the hospital was um um emptied out after there were a spread of this the MERS virus back then so he he cal- he brought these um, measuring devices that would detect how the air flow air would flow within the the hos- hospital rooms and corridors. So to to figure out how the virus had spread so fast. And another technology that he used was a simulation technology through through computer simulation. So he not only um, in, in the second approach, he not only um, used the data that was measured through devices, but he wanted to uh, reenact the entire um, atmospheric environment back then when the wow. virus was spreading. So, so he wanted to collect all these uh, data from meteor- me- meteorology, where where it, um, he would. It, um, put in data on the, the the direction of the wind and the the temperature and the operation of the air conditioning system. So he would um, put in all these different kind of numbers into the simulation system to understand not only the this 
this points of measurement, but also the entire flow of the wind in that mm. same floor. So um, these different approaches on uh, that he used to understand how the virus was spreading uh, was very intriguing and um, 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 interesting to um, learn and listen to. So he was trying to understand by by reenacting, by re re, re um, presenting this whole situation through through uh, his knowledge and expertise. Wow, that's a fascinating story. Uh, uh, Sangan, let me come to you and ask about another uh, one of the types of characters I think that appear in your book, and that's the contact tracers, the COVID-19 mm-hmm. contact tracers. And, and it's important because the um, Korean model of COVID, which has gotten a lot of discussion since January of of 2020 around um, very strict infection control based on a regimen of testing and government provision of masks and then also contact tracing. Of course, in the United States, in various small locales, they were able to do it, but mostly the federal government gave up on that by April of 2020. That's not been the case here in South Korea. Tell us about the contact tracers. Yeah, one of the most interesting stories from our book is actually from the contact tracing and the how these people actually manage to find the infected people in, in, in this very complex society. So as you, as you have said, rigorous contact tracing was a, a successful measure of disaster control in South Korea, especially during the early stage of COVID-19. And we, in the book, we con- conduct interviews and document analysis and, and watch documentaries on them. And we tried to actually reconstruct the task of these contact tracers or epidemiology investigators and narrate how they use new technologies and CCTV data and the accumulated kind of experience to find the close contact person of, of an infected people. So in, in the book, we especially discuss very interesting case of a new technology called EISS, Epidemic Investigation Support System. Which can be seen as a, a kind of one way, one reason why South Korea was effective on finding uh, the close contact people. It is initially designed as a, a, a smart city project to better understand the mobility of people by tracing their cell phones. But but it, when the COVID hit, the, the developers of this process repurposed it into a tool for uh, contact tracers. So basically, uh, it helps the contact tracers to show the travel route of each people. Uh, where where they moved uh, from from this place to that place and show what how much time they spent on certain places and th- using these digital technologies they it, they drastically decreased the amount of time required for for a one contact tracer to follow the trace of one infected people so that is a one reason why the the contact tracing could be very successful but of course the technology is never kind of enough because they have to rely upon Various interviews with with the infected people to gather more kind of intimate knowledge on 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 how the infection actually uh, appeared. In in uh, they they have to they have to do a lot of phone interviews with the infected people to to ask them uh how how they spent their time in certain places were they masking were they wearing masks or not uh or or they eating food or drinking tea with with someone or someone else that all. Takes it takes count in 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 doing uh, close uh, contact tracing. Uh, 
another one of the cases that um, appears in the book, uh, again, around this concept of breathing together. And, uh, you know, just to, to share a little bit here, um, coping with the distance, coping with the anxiety of the pandemic, um, we see this around the world. My own mother um, loves to sing. She sings in her church choir. And that to her was a really harsh deprivation in the pandemic, um, not to be able to go to her choir practice and to be able uh, to sing. That's the number one thing when we visited the last time I visited with my children and uh, where she lives in San Antonio, Texas, was she wanted them to see her sing in the choir. And of course, the exchange of breath was the first thing we knew once they determined it was airborne that we shouldn't do during COVID. Mm -hmm. I think you touch on that topic in the book, don't you? Uh, in the, with the talking about the soul Philharmonic. Yeah. Maybe you can yeah. tell us a little bit more about that, either if you want or Sangha. Yeah, sure. Uh, I was really fascinated by the effort of soul Philharmonic to make kind of harmonious music in, in the time when sharing air is, has become literally very, diff, very, uh, dangerous kind of act. So in, in the pandemic, so the, the practicing music together, as you have said, has become very difficult act. And we, in, we, in, in the book, we discuss how the musicians in this whole Philharmonic Orchestra managed to perform good music without sacrificing safety by drastically changing their, their, their musical practice and adopting new technology and knowledge. For instance, uh, uh, they adopted a, a significant uh, social distancing on stage that means that they they stay apart from each other 1.5 meters. For example, like string players, they usually uh, sit right close next to each other. They actually share a sheet together, but then that was close, uh, strictly banned in Seoul Philharmonic. They, they had to do a social distancing on, on that. And they also had to change their repertories as well because uh, since uh, they're, they're, they're putting on social distancing on stage, they cannot put many uh the players on stage as as they used to so they they used to play like 100 players at a time but in covid era they can do only 50 because of the social distancing that matter so they that makes a, a lot of kind of musical consideration because uh you have to rearrange all all, all the all the uh the traditional kind of kind of music to suit these new kind of situations for example and uh the for example, the, the most kind of precarious thing to do in, in the on stage was to put many brass, uh, the players because they literally blow air, a lot of right. air right. into it. And they have to dramatically reduce the, the, the amount of brass, uh, players, which call for a lot of musical consideration. Uh, and I, I was impressed and to write about how the Seoul Philharmonic managed to do music by, by, by really changing their musical practices and, and their, uh, their approach to music when it comes to the COVID era. So it, it was interesting to see that how the, the changing air relations or air-related risk affect their musical practices in, in various different ways. Well, what does that mean for the brass? Does that mean that the tuba player is now banished? I mean, <laughs> the, the whole approach to playing certain pieces of music has to they have to change the orchestration yeah, yeah. of it or these players well, have to modulate their their breathing what is it what does it entail yeah sure uh 
for instance, well, they, they, the Seoul Philharmonic did a, uh, at the end of the year concert on, on, with a Beethoven Symphony Number no. 9. It is really uh, well known for its huge sure. orchestra yeah. and, and the choir and then, and the, all these singers. And then obviously it was difficult for them because they cannot put all these people on one stage. It is uh, simply too, too dangerous. So, so they had to, they asked a special, uh, uh, the, uh, the composer to rearrange it to, to drastically, uh, decrease the number of, number of brass and as, as well as the, the choir. And, and the, uh, and the, as a, as a result, they managed to do it in, in a kind of the chamber music size. So about 50 people on, on stage. So that gives you a, mm-hmm. a different kind of sensation. So the, the Beethoven Symphony number no. nines comes to you as a very different music. But then they, uh, I, I was surprised to see that they, they see this as a kind of new opportunity to, 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 be, because at the time of the Beethoven, the, the music was not as big as uh, the contemporary Beethoven uh, musics. So they see this as a kind of opportunity to study another form of, of playing music uh, with, with a much less number of number of orchestra players uh, and, and, to, and really to carefully arranging them. There's uh, another case from the book that I think we have time to, to maybe talk about. Hiwan, um, uh, the negative pressure isolation ward. Can you talk to us a little bit about that in the context of breathing in the time of COVID? So the negative pressure ward um, was... Um, in Korean, so it, it's an isolation ward. So, so the the in, in, inner pressure inside the ward is uh, lower than the outside external area of the ward. So, um, so that this kind of measures are intended to um, block the virus moving from the inside to the outside. So. Basically, the medical experts, um, the doctors and nurses can treat the patients inside the ward without leaking the virus to the outside public. And um, uh, in, in the book, uh, we wrote about the, the troubles that occurred when, when doctors and nurses had to uh, constantly move in and out of this isolated ward because not only because the air was blocked with with different pressures inside and outside it that the air is also a medium that delivers sound so there were not enough communication um systems so people had to shout loud in order to deliver the messages inside and outside of this isolation ward um so they were coming up with these um, different measures where um, you, you you would actually write a sign instead of um, um, shouting the messages. And then that these kind of moments and these struggles were became apparent through through this um, uh, isolation wards. Uh, negative pressure isolation wards. So it's because the the, the wards were um, uh, isolating air, it was also isolating sound. So, so it, it's all kind of a similar ex- example with the Philharmonic 
uh, orchestra that someone was just mentioning, but the the message, the 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 what what it was delivering was not the sound, but about the the instructions that the doctors had to make and the mm. instructions to other uh, fellow workers. And they were willing to demonstrate this uh, site to you. Is that somewhere that you wonder if your team um, got to visit? This this was mostly about the interviews that were already on the newspaper articles and also on mm -hmm. documentaries and films that mm. we were able to watch. And also there were uh, public guidelines that were published by the the officials about um, where where these um, negative pressure isolation wards would be uh, uh, built and how it would be run. So how many of these wards were necessary in hospitals and who would be in charge of them. So we, we had to collect all of these different um, documents, interview uh, materials, and also films that to, to grasp the, the entire pictures around the ward. We're almost up on time in our conversation today on COVID Calls about the new book, Breathing Communities, Science and Politics in the Triple Air Crises of Particulate Matters, COVID-19 and Heat Wave. And I've been reading the title in English because of my poor capacity in Korean. I want to thank my guests today for speaking English, but give them also an opportunity to tell us the title in Korean. Sungun, maybe you could give that so that the readers, uh, viewers out there, awesome. listeners can go and get this book and now two of us can hold it up at the same time because I also want to talk about the cover. What, you can make the three of us. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Somebody, someone take a screenshot. I know we have people watching. This is a fantastic moment. So the um, book is called 호흡 공동체 미세먼지 코로나19 폭염에 응답하는 과학과 정치. So it is, that is, that is a book title in Korean. The cover is uh, spectacular. Um, and I'm just going to give people a little bit closer look of that there. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us, Sangan, about the cover. So it is a, uh, it is it's difficult to imagine, but it is, it is actually a picture of a sculpture. So it is a uh, piece by a Korean uh, contemporary artist named Kim Hong Seok. So he asked uh, the people close to him to blow a, a air balloon with a kind of hope and imagination in, in mind. So thinking about good memories in, in their life and blow it into an air, uh, air balloon. So he casted <clears throat> a, a sculpture out of that, that balloon and stacked them in, in order. So it kind of gives, gives us a good message that we, the breathing is a, always a biological, personal kind of activity. But by stacking them together, we kind of realize that breathing cannot be entirely kind of a uh, private matter, but it, it is also a very, very collective kind of activity because we always exchange air with each other in, in a certain social and, and political context. But I, so we think that this, the, this culture really captures the very essence of our, our book, our message that the breathing air has to be a, a collective, uh, the practice that requires new science and politics uh, in order to make the air condition better for, for all of us. Hmm. Any final, thank you for that, Sungan and Hewan, just to give you a uh -huh. chance, anything else you wanted to say about the artwork or what it means to you or any other final thoughts as we close out? So um, thank you for asking. Uh, one of the um, most interesting points for me is that he asked his family members and close friends 
to blow in the breasts. And I guess what he wanted, the message that he wanted to deliver was that not it was not only random people that he met on the streets, but the immediate uh, network of people that he could um, easily encounter in his daily life. And that's whom we breathe together with in our everyday lives, our family members or our, our, our the people from work, school. So we, we have to understand the, the, the similar message between this artwork and our book was that breeding is not only a problem of life itself, but it's a problem about breathing together within a contained space as a, a society, as a political group, as a breathing community. So I guess that that was what one of the reasons why we that this art art piece was such a good um, became a very a representative um, uh, figure for our, our our book cover. Just a reminder that you've been listening to COVID calls, which you can usually catch at six p.m. Eastern time. This is a special COVID calls episode at 9.30 a.m. Korea time. And please join me on my next COVID calls discussion tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time. I'll be talking to Cecilia Tamori. And I want to thank my guests today, Sungun Kim and Hyun Kim, talking about this new book, Breathing Communities, which is co-authored also by Cheong John and Myung Kang. Sungun and Hyun, um, brilliant stuff. Thanks for taking time out. Um, he won again. Congratulations! It's great to see you and be with you both to talk about this important new work. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for it's having us. To talk to you. Stay healthy, everyone. We'll see you next time on COVID calls.